following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I once was lost, and now I'm found. Anybody else in the room? I was. I was lost. And God tried to wake me up. And I wasn't ready to be woken up. And he had ways that he intervened and sent people and sent scriptures. And I wasn't ready. I was lost. And then eventually, through divine circumstances, I finally said, God, I can't fight you anymore. (laughs) What am I doing? I'm fighting you. I can't fight you, God. You are way too big, way too strong for me to fight you. I once was lost, and now I'm found. And you know, when I look back on what it took to wake me up, I'm like, wow, I wasted a lot of years waking up. I could have woke up way sooner, but it took a lot of years waking up. And I also think back of when I was brand new in the faith, when I was just figuring out what it meant to follow Jesus, just figuring it out. It was all brand new to me, figuring out what does it take, starting to learn the Bible and figuring it out. And then if you were like me, over time, you start to separate yourselves from certain groups of people and the way you used to live and what you used to do, and you start to grow in the things of God. And over time, God starts to tune you up. Anybody been getting tuned up by God along the way? He tunes you up along the way. It's called sanctification. That's a good thing. He, he tunes us up. He cleans us up. He clarifies things. He gives us wisdom, discernment, revelation, and we start walking on this, on this road with him. But unfortunately, one thing that happens, and this is good and bad, we, we've walked away from things in a lifestyle that we needed to walk away from. The downside is there's still a whole lot of folks back there. There's a whole lot of folks back there. And God loves them. He lives, loves them just as much as he loves you. But you're a child of God and they're not. And something happens to us, I believe, in this way as we we step into the faith, and I've seen it in my life, I've seen it all over the the church in America, the church in the world, I think it's just a natural uh, part of Christian formation as we start to walk in the things of God, we start to get tuned up and cleaned up and walking with God and following His ways, and that's beautiful, that's beautiful. But sometimes we do what Scripture tells us not to do, forget not the quarry from which you were dug and the rock from which you were hewn. Don't forget that we came out of some pile somewhere, and God pulled us out of it. We once were lost, now we're found, and he's tuning us up and conforming us into his image, but we oftentimes forget about the quarry from which we were dug. That can happen very easily. It can happen very subtly. I think it does, in fact, happen to all of us. And I think when it does, we start to develop some tendencies that were similar to those of the Pharisees. The Pharisees had these tendencies. They had this culture among them that we are God's people. We go by the book, and they don't. And as time goes on, they start to develop this culture where they are so opposed to those people over there, quote-unquote, those people, that they start to, they start to, despise those people. Here's the problem. God loves those people. 
And yet sometimes believers can start to despise those people. And it's a total disconnect with the heart of God. And I don't think it's an intentional thing, but I think it happens in the lives of us believers all, all the time. I don't know about you guys, but I was a sinner that needed a savior. Amen? Anybody else in the room? Tell someone next to you, I was a sinner that needed a savior. Go ahead and tell them. That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, don't, you don't got to go confessing all your sin this morning. We don't have time for that. And, uh, you know, we don't have this another time in another place. But here's the deal. <laughs> we once were lost, now we're found. We were sinners that needed a savior. God doesn't see us as sinners. He sees us now as sons and daughters. That's how he sees us through what Jesus did. But the reality is that's what we were called. In the spiritual realm, we were simply called sinners and all, all sinners, we all fall short. Every one of us on the planet, everyone with a pulse, everyone with a heartbeat, we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners that need a Savior. That's the kingdom of God 101, very simple. Everyone needs to know and understand that. And we were called out of that into a new life. And that's beautiful. But the problem is, there's still a whole lot of sinners out there, quote unquote, just like we were. And they're being left alone. And Jesus, Jesus has a different culture around him. Jesus, his heart for the lost is profound. The culture of people around Jesus, this Jesus culture, if you will, they had a whole different mindset and heart condition than the other religious people, the Pharisees. Completely different cultures. I want us to be able to look at that this morning. In fact, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke 15. We're going to look at a passage um, that I believe God's going to give us some inside perspective this morning. And before we look at that passage in Luke 15, I want to read one verse to you out of Luke 18, 11. And this is what happens when we don't go back to those who God loves. We begin to separate ourselves, which maybe we needed to do for a while. But we begin to forget about them and over time can start to despise them. We can start to develop a culture much like the Pharisees, even though we didn't ask for it. That's what we, in fact, do. And this is what it says in Luke 18, 11 about the Pharisees. They're religious people. They said they had a love for God and they studied the book, okay? They knew the book. They knew what was in God's book. They knew it well. They stopped hanging out with those people and they only hung around people who knew the book. And that's probably a good thing, but the problem is their attitude started to change for those people. And this is what it says in Luke 18, 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. This is in the temple where Jesus is observing him. And he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Thank you, God, I'm not like him. And this is a religious person. This is a person that's praying. This is a person that would say they have a relationship with God. This is a person who goes, studies the book, but has no compassion or understanding whatsoever for those who are lost. Followers of Jesus, on the other hand, completely different culture, completely different culture. We're going to see that today. They are not offended by sin or those who are still in their sin. They are a culture who, like Scripture says, they didn't forget the quarry from which they were dug. They didn't forget the rock that they were hewn from, chiseled from. They didn't forget. And because they didn't forget, they could see others and go, I get it. I was just like that. Hey, let me walk over and tell you about my story. It's easy. But for others who get so far removed, 
there's no point of connection. And unlike, the, uh, not much different from the Pharisees, they begin to almost despise those who are in that kind of place. And I believe God is calling us as a church, guys, revival is coming. Revival is coming. And because revival is coming, you and I need to rethink why we're here. We need to think our mission, our purpose as a people and as a church. We need to think what resonates with the heart of God and let that resonate with our heart. This is, this is a topic I feel that like God wants to wake us all up into a deeper dimension of where he's going and, and how we can line up with him. But understand this tension right here between Christ followers and the other religious people who some despised those who lived in sin or were even in sin in any kind of way and the others that have followed Jesus that still had a love and a compassion for all those who were still in their sin and didn't look at them differently. Um, And this morning, you might check yourself in your own heart, which one am I in this equation? Am I... Am I leaning towards, yep, I don't really have any time or space or energy or anything for, quote unquote, those people? Or do you talk differently? Do you say, no, they're (laughs) just like I was. And God loves them and I love them and I want to go back into their world. It happens subtly. It happens over time. But I'm telling you guys, there's a shift. I've seen it. You can look at all churches and even denominations who started out with a passion for the lost and what happened over time is they started to develop their own little holy huddle and start to be so set apart, they never ended up going back. They made their own culture, their own lifestyle, their own ways, and they stopped going back because they got so separated. We need to be separated from sin, but not from the sinner. And we're going to see in a Jesus culture, that is in fact what people do. It's how they live. The Pharisees would not. They wouldn't even be in the same room. They didn't want to be in the same area as a sinner. And they were religious people who studied scripture. And it can happen to any one of us. Um, Luke 15. Luke 15. Uh, This is an amazing set of passages right here in the Bible. You've heard them before more than likely. But I want to unpack this a little bit so we get an understanding of what the kingdom looks like and what it looks like for us here and now and how God wants to, I believe, enable us to step into revival that he's calling us to step into. It begins like this in Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, Jesus attracted everyone, and that's because the real Jesus is attractive. I would suggest if you and I are modeling the real Jesus, we are attractive too. Not religion, no one wants religion. The real Jesus, if you and I are modeling and living out in the power of the Spirit, the real Jesus, the Word and the Spirit, if we're those kind of people living by the Word and the Spirit, we're following the real Jesus, real Christ followers, we too are attractive because Jesus was attractive. And I'd see in this passage, you got all these sinners like swarming around him and you're like, that's odd. They didn't swarm around any of the Pharisees. They didn't identify with the Pharisees, but they were identifying with Jesus. And I think there's something profoundly attractive about Jesus because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He's God's love manifest, God's power present. He is the all-knowing one, God's revelation through him. How can you not like Jesus? 
There's many people, even uh, Buddha, excuse me, Gandhi said, he told his people, he encouraged them to study fervently the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? That's Gandhi. Why? Because he's good. How can Jesus, it's attractive. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's attractive. Gandhi also said that if it weren't for Christians, he too might have become a follower of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? What would India be like today if he had a better confrontation with Christians, religious people? I think he ran into some Pharisees and he didn't like them and didn't want to be like them and took a completely different direction. But about Jesus, he said, study fervently the teachings and life of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's attractive. Jesus is attractive. He's genuine. He's God's love. And the culture around Jesus really learned to appreciate these things about him, specifically his attitude towards tax collectors, sinners, all gathering around him. And that's what we see in the story. But the Pharisees had no tolerance, no tolerance for this, for this lifestyle. And they kept far from them. And uh, the tax collectors and sinners, it says in the passage, they muttered, they muttered. The, The Greek word suggests that they were upset about these people. I don't like these people agitated about these people and complaining about these people, those people. When you and I talk about those people, we are kind of lining up with the Pharisees. That's the way they talked about them. The apostles didn't talk about them that way. Jesus didn't talk about them that way. He looked at everyone like a sheep without a shepherd. He says, wow. They, they looked at everyone. Jesus and his disciples looked at everyone, not at the sin. They didn't see the sinner. They didn't even just look at the sin behind the sinner. They looked at how God saw them and the potential that God was calling them out. God's calling you out. He's got a hope and a future. When they saw the person, they saw all that beauty and magnitude in each person. And that's why they were able to have compassion on them. If all we see is the sin in the sinner, then we're going to let that sin be a reflection on that person. And we're going to see that person as no good and not wanting anything to do with them. Does that make sense? But if we see that person in God's potential and his love and the redemptive value that God, Jesus died for them and the hope in the future he has, if we start to see people that way, we, we deal with them entirely different. We engage, we interact completely different. So that would be a Pharisee test for us this morning is how do you feel around those people? How do you feel around sinners? How does it make you feel? Are you good with that? Can you roll that way? Beautiful, you're in a good place. If you can't, then I believe God is calling you to, to, to allow him to reshape your thinking in this area. Again, over time, I've seen it again and again and historically through churches where people begin coming out of this world once was lost, but now I see. And they step away from things that they need to step away from for a season because that's not good for them. That whole lifestyle was pulling them down. So there is a season to get, get out of Egypt. <laughs> Just get out of Egypt. And when you get out of Egypt, you start learning God's ways and walking in God's ways. But there is a time when God grows you and he puts your feet upon a rock and you get some stability in your life and you know your mission and your purpose and your calling, you know your identity. It's time. It's time to go back. It's time to go back to people in places where you have equity, where you understand, where you comprehend, where you get them. You get where they're at. You understand, and not a lot of other people do, but you do. And that's the heart of God in this. That's the heart of God. So in this passage, it says all these sinners gathered around Jesus. They gathered around Jesus. Everybody say gathered around Jesus. 
gathered around Jesus because some people tend to flip this in their mind. Well, just didn't Jesus hang out with all the, you know, the drunks and the prostitutes? They make it sound like Jesus is hanging out at the brothel with everybody doing shots. That's the way, have you heard people say that? Well, Jesus hung out with all, isn't, isn't that what we hear? That's not what it says. No, he's not out doing 12-ounce curls at the pub, the Palestinian pub with all these guys. They're all hanging around him. They're hanging around him. That's because he's the genuine article. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's not judgmental about them. They're hanging around him. He's not running off going, where are you guys? Can I, would you like me better if I do shots with you? Uh, you know, do you think I'm cool? Like, what could I do that you guys will think? Can I go to the club clubbing with you guys? Like, would you like me better? Jesus is not doing that. But that's what we think today. People summarize this whole thing. Well, Jesus hung out with all the sinners. Like, isn't that what he did for a living? <laughs> no, it's not what he did. They saw him and saw, this guy is legit. He is not like these religious people. He's got God's love on him, God's power. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's got the words for life. He's not judging us. He lets us come to his table and have a meal. Nobody else will hang out with us, but he will. And so remember in the passages that they gathered around Jesus. And I think that's important. They drew near to him. It wasn't the other way around. Um, And so he welcomed them to eat with him. And in this passage, they didn't have fast food. It was inviting someone to your table. It was literally, we're going to sit down and have a meal. And if you care about somebody, you have them over for a meal. This is a cultural thing still today, but it's a less important thing in our culture. With fast food, you can be sitting at a restaurant next to anybody. Back then, you broke bread with somebody because you care about them. And in this case here, they came and they ate at Jesus' table. And what's important about this, guys, is that Jesus always would make us place at his table for somebody like this. He'd make a place for a sinner. <laughs> I'm using the word. It's not like we don't sin. We sin and fall short too. But sin is no longer the rule of our life. It's the exception. So when we do, we turn. We're not perfect. We all sin and fall short. But when we do, we turn and we get right with God and we keep walking. But we're not called quote unquote sinners anymore. But there's people outside of Christ that still, that's the way they are. They're viewed. It's not that we're calling them sinners. The Bible calls them sinners. We're all sinners and fall short until we're redeemed. And the point is this, guys. Jesus, in his love, had a place at his table for a sinner. I want to ask you this morning, do you make a place at your table for a sinner? I want to encourage you. You want revival to start in your life, in your home? You want revival to start at your table? (laughs) You want revival to start at your dinner table? Make a place at your table. May there always be a sinner at your table. May there always be a sinner at our tables. Amen? That's important, guys. But with Jesus, with his attitude here, in this culture of Christ followers, he wasn't trying to be cool so that they would like him. And that's important to say because Christians often struggle with this. The Bible says to become all things to all men, so by all possible means some might be saved. So that means we gotta relate to people. We gotta be able to break it down. We don't wanna talk Christianese like we're talking some foreign language. We gotta break it down and be real with people and meet them where they're at. That's what scripture is saying. But sometimes people get confused about, well, what do I have to do that they will like me? And in so doing, compromise your witness, compromise your walk, compromise your integrity. And God's never calling us to do that. Jesus didn't say, what, will I, what, what do you think I could do that you guys might like me better? He didn't say that. And so the first point, if you're, if you're a note taker this morning, I'd encourage you to do this. If you, 
want to be a friend of sinners, if you want to see the kind of revival I think that Jesus saw around him, and I believe that God's calling us individually and as a church to step into this realm in our city, the first one is this, is aim to love, not to be liked. Aim to love, not to be liked. Jesus didn't say, what could I do that you guys would like me better? Would you like me better if I do this? He didn't do that. It's like, I love you guys. Come to my table. Here's food for you guys. I love you. I know you're all messed up. I ain't judging you. But I am telling you, we're not staying here, guys. I love you right where you're at. (laughs) But I also love you too much to leave you right where you're at. So when we're done with this meal, I'm going this way. Who's coming with me? You see how we operated? Some people forget that. They think Jesus hung out with all the sinners. That's where he went every Friday night. He went down to the pub and he hung out with all the sinners. He's like, guys, no. He invited them to his table. Often, come to my house. Have food. I love you. Listen to me. Give the words of life. But we're all going to turn, which means change our mind, and go this way. We talked about, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I found, I'm found. That comes from changing our mind. That's what the word repent means. When John the Baptist was saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. God is coming. The message is still the same for our city, for everyone that you work with, everyone on your block, your neighborhood, and your family. God's still saying the same thing. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. But it isn't just like, what does that mean? Does it mean repent? Is there a whip flying? What is that thing? God's saying, would you change your mind, please? (laughs) Would you change your mind about who I am? Would you change your mind about my love for you? Would you change your mind about thinking that your ways are better than mine? Would you change your mind about your future because I have a better one for you? Would you change your mind that you think you're good enough when we're all sinners and we need a savior? Would you change your mind? And some people go, you know what? Yeah, what am I doing? It's time to change my mind. You're right, God. Beautiful. And when we change our mind, we change our direction. And that's what repentance is all about. And Jesus is around all these people. And by the way, they're turning to follow him in droves. Droves of sinners are coming into the faith. And it's, 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 just beautiful in the eyes of heaven. It's beautiful in the eyes of heaven. So they're inviting, Jesus is inviting them into his world without judgment, without prejudice, with a profound tolerance. He always has room at his table. And let's move on to verse three and see where this goes. With the Pharisees present and the sinners at the table, Jesus says this. He told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven when once over one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This story, I want to encourage you guys. I've read this so many times, and I always focus on the lost. Find the lost, find the lost, find the lost, find the lost. There's a series of passages here about lost things being found. But you know what I missed in the story all the times, and I've taught on this before? I missed the joy in this passage. This passage is about joy. This passage is about joy. We just read it three times. I don't know if you guys noticed. You might want to underline it in your Bible. He says in verse 5, he said when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on. He's like so happy. He's stoked. He finds a lost sheep. He's like, this is awesome. Ear to ear grin. He's like, this is great. Joyfully. And when he gets home, 
the joy is so overwhelming that he can't just be happy and go to sleep. He goes home with an ear-to-ear grin, so full of joy, he's waking up all his neighbors. Guys, come on, it's a party at my house tonight. Why is there a party? Because I found what was lost, and now it's found. And guess what the neighbors did? You're right, that's a celebration. And the neighbors came, and the neighbors would celebrate with a truckload of joy. And, and what Jesus is saying is, you guys aren't even fully getting it because you don't see what it looks like in heaven. You don't see what it looks like in heaven. The rejoicing in heaven, they're going off the chart in heaven. They're doing backflips, jumping jacks. When one lost person comes to faith, we don't think that way. We don't act that way, family. We don't act that way, family. When one, one comes to faith, there's a truckload of rejoicing, not only in his life personally, but all of his neighbors and in heaven. They're up there doing jumping jacks, you know, they're doing every kind of dance. They're just tearing it up in the heavenly realm. When one person comes to faith, truckload of rejoicing. I don't know if you're seeing it in the story. I don't know if you're feeling it in the story, (laughs) but it's all over the story. The joy, the joy of heaven. If you're a note taker, here's points two, three, and four real quick. Identify your lost sheep. Identify your lost sheep. Do you have one? Do you know one? Who comes to mind? Maybe it's personal, someone that was in your family who drifted, or maybe it's a friend that drifted, or maybe it's just someone you go, if I have to call out a lost sheep, this is the one that comes to mind. Who is that? Identify your lost sheep. Discover who's lost. Look around in your life. Who's lost? Who's lost and they don't belong out there? Who's the first one that comes to mind? Maybe you've got a few. Put them on a list. Who's lost? Write them down. Point number three, go after them. Go after them. Yes, pray for them, but you go after them. Go after them. Don't just wait. This guy could have said, oh, I'm just going to pray. Maybe, maybe he'll come home. Maybe he'll wander back. I'll just keep praying. That's a passive faith, an active faith steps. The assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of the unseen, it steps out into the unknown. That's what active faith does. Faith is active by definition. And if you're going to walk in active faith as a revival, son and daughter of God, you don't only identify who's lost, you go after them to the best of your ability, you go after them. And, and then the fourth point is you celebrate their return. You celebrate. Listen, guys, when you're praying for someone and you're sharing faith with somebody and somebody steps into the kingdom, that's huge. That's amazing. I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm trying to encourage you guys to see the amount of joy in this passage. Because this thing is not just about lost things and lost people. This is about the joy and the rejoicing. It's all over the passage. It's all throughout the passage. And I would suggest to you, maybe you need a little more joy in your life. Maybe you need some more joy in your life. And I would suggest to you, you're going to find joy when you partner with heaven and you start getting in on this heavenly joy. It's all through the story. You can't miss it. There's all kinds of joy. All kinds of joy. You know, I met a I met a new friend this week who got to, we got to sit down and talk and we got to pray and we got to pray, uh, we got to pray his way into the kingdom. And I got to tell you, it was beautiful. It was a powerful moment. It was the coolest thing ever. And it just, it made my week. It made my month. I just left with so much joy going, God, you are so good. You are so good. You are so good. I had this joy. Why? Because I'm, I'm learning how to partner with heaven where heaven rejoices. And I want to encourage you guys. He's calling every one of you to partner with heaven and share 
the joy of heaven. Remember Jesus said, when we all see him face to face one day, he's going to say, come and share in my master's what? Happiness. The master's happiness. What makes the master smile? Heaven's rejoicing over lost things being found. And you and I get to partner with heaven on these things. It's really, really cool. Uh, Moves on in verse eight. It says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there will be rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Do you see? This is like a duplicate story. It's not about the coin. It's not about the sheep. It's about the rejoicing when the lost are found. It's about the rejoicing when the blind sees. It's the rejoicing when you and I put our faith in motion saying, this matters, I'm going after someone. I'm looking around and the way I'm clocking things from this heart, someone's lost. Who is it? Ask God, pray, get a holy radar. That's who it is. I'm going after him, God. I'm praying to, but I'm going after him. And when one turns... Heaven is doing jumping jacks. It's a celebration that's off the chart. And guess what? You and I need to start celebrating with heaven. We don't just like be passive about it and let heaven have its celebration. I want to encourage us here as a family of believers at Metro. I want to encourage us to be the kind of family that celebrates decisions. Will you guys do that with me? Celebrate decisions for Christ? Would you guys do that with me? Celebrate decisions. Not like, yeah, whatever. Somebody just gave their life to the Lord. That's cool. Whatever, they got eternity now. They're forgiven, that's cool. That's huge. Come on, guys. That's enormous. That's like what matters. Heaven's like chewing jumping jacks. We're like, yeah, what am I gonna get for lunch? Maybe a double-double or something like that. That guy gave his life to the Lord. Triple-triple uh, animal fries. Yeah, something. Guys, it's big stuff. It's what matters. It's what matters. Uh, so here's the deal. We gotta see the joy of heaven in the story. We gotta feel the joy of heaven when people turn their lives. That's huge. And so the fifth point is this, guys, is to learn to appreciate the joy of heaven. I don't think we do, and I'll speak for myself on that. God's calling me back to this, to learn to appreciate the joy of heaven. If you and I saw what happens when you pray with somebody or for somebody, or you just partner with somebody, you just, maybe you're throwing the seed or you're doing the watering. God does the rest. We don't, you know, we don't make it happen. God does stuff. He's proactive in everybody's life, but he partners with sons and daughters all the time. But there's a celebration, and you need to know there's a celebration, and God wants you to join in the celebration because in this passage, the story is saying, come celebrate with me. That's what it says in the passage. When the lost person finds what was lost, The next thing stated to all the listeners is come celebrate with me. And we either get the celebration and step into it or we don't get it and we stay away from it. And I'm encouraging you, there's a lot of things that we're praying for. We are praying for God to move among us in profound ways. We are praying for an outpouring of his spirit. We are praying for the evidences of the early church and everything that God did, it's in the word of God. We want all of it, everything. Everything that's in the book, we want it all, and we believe Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that his gifts and call are irrevocable. But I will tell you this. When the apostles went out and the disciples went out, and he sent out the 70, and there's 120 in the upper room, and there's people like us, guys. 
not capital A apostles, folks like us, rolling around as Christ followers, stepping into people's world, speaking up in the power and the love of God according to the word and the spirit. They were just living out their life representing Jesus. And when they did, things changed profoundly. But this is what it says. It says the signs and wonders, they accompanied those who preached the good. They accompanied. Would you say accompanied? That means they followed along. When you and I want to go after lost things, you and I are going to get to see some signs and wonders. If you and I don't want to go after lost things and we just want signs and wonders, I think God would say that's really childish. You just want little, you know, I mean, that's all cool stuff, but it's all like when you go to the main event, like the Thanksgiving meal, like the turkey's the main thing. That's like being caught up in the cranberry. That's so cool. I just want cranberry. Just all cranberry. It's like, that's good. But the main thing is the main thing. And, and, and the Bible is saying when we keep the main thing the main thing, everything else goes along with it. The, 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 the wonders and the signs and the things, the radical and the miraculous that we are crying out to God, see, accompany, go along with, follow. And so I would encourage you guys, if we want to be people that step into revival, we're going to have to have a heart like Jesus does and become a friend of sinners. I mean a friend of sinners. Not tolerant of sinners, a friend of sinners. Have a place at your table for them. That's really huge. And why is this that big of a deal? Um, I would suggest to you, the Bible has a profound statement. And we see it in the apostles. Jesus did not stand outside the rabbinical school and ask for the top Hebrew graduates who memorized the most scripture. He didn't stand there and say, give me your first 12 that come out the door. I want the highest GPA guys. Give me the best 12 you got, top of the class. You guys, come with me. I'm going to make you disciples. He didn't do that. He could have, but he didn't. He went after these people whose lives, they were messed up, a bunch of sinners, kind of like us, fishermen, talk like a truck driver, talk, talk like a sailor, right? Isn't that what fishermen do? That's this crew. That's who. And the first thing he said to Peter, hey, Peter, follow me. He's like, oh, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. You have no idea who you're calling. Peter's like, you you got the wrong guy. If you know my stuff, you wouldn't be asking me that. And Jesus is like, no, I know all about your stuff. I look past it. I see you. I'm calling you out, Peter. Follow me. Peter, James, and John dropping their boats and their nets going, here we go. Not because they were good people who had it together. Jesus looked beyond that because they had a hope and a future in Jesus. And when they found it, they spent the rest of their life telling others about him because that's the power, the profound power of a sinner who comes to faith like you and I. Story in in the Bible, I'll just share this last one with you. And this story tells us the beauty of when a sinner changes their mind. The beauty, it's got so much beauty and so much power, more than we realize. Not only is it something to rejoice about, I don't think, I think we fail to see the power, the power and the magnitude of that life. I really do think we, we fail to see it sometimes. And the Bible says that whoever is given much, whoever is forgiven much, loves much. In other words, if Jesus has forgiven you a lot, not a little bit, like I was pretty good, I didn't really need a lot of, no, if Jesus has forgiven you a lot, you're gonna love a whole lot more. But if Jesus has only forgiven you a little, then you're gonna love less. The Bible tells us that. 
And there's a story in Luke 7, 47 of a woman, you know the story, where she took her perfume and poured it all over you, spent so much money, she poured it out. And they're like, look at, why is she even around? And the girl's like such a sinner. Like, what, what are they doing? Like, why is she like pouring out all that like love all over him and just expensive stuff when she's just such a, such a sinner? And Jesus says in Luke 7, 47, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. The Bible is saying, if you're forgiven little, you love little. If you're forgiven a lot, you love a lot. And I've seen some of the biggest sinners become the biggest saints because of that issue. Because of saying, I knew how messed up I was and I know how good God is. It wasn't like I was the top graduating class who who was qualified to be a holy roller, like I had it to get. No, I was messed up, and God turned me around. And then their capacity to love is amazing. It's outstanding. But over time in the faith, we start to hang around with others who believe what we believe and act like we act. And before you know it, we start to drift away from the very reality of who we were. We don't plan on this, guys, but we start to become Pharisees. We start to become religious people because we no longer have a place at our table for sinners. And my prayer is that there'll always be a place at your table for sinners. Whoever is forgiven, that's the last point this morning if you're a note taker. Whoever is forgiven much, loves much. You know, I'm gonna close as the worship team comes up with uh, experience I had, you know, number of years back, I did a lot of prison ministry, all these different facilities, county jail, wayside, Chino, youth facilities. Uh, we were out one uh, night ministering in uh, CIW, California Institute for Women. It's out by Ontario or rivers, down Riverside. And it was a facility where um, most of the inmates there were doing very long stretches of time. It was a women's facility. Uh, it was the first time I'd been in a women's facility. I went in with some chaplains and a, and a team of people. And we carried our gear, you know, our guitars, amps, everything else, into this chapel through the levels of security. And we, we, we preached the gospel and we did some worship music in there. And after the service, you know, there were people who accepted the Lord. It was beautiful. Uh, and then on the way out, we had to go back through security. So as we were carrying our stuff, uh, one of the inmates told the chaplain, oh, do you want me to help? Can I carry the stuff at least to the security gate? And she was told, sure, you can. And I know as I'm carrying things and I'm listening to this conversation and this inmate uh, is saying, uh, I can't even believe the way she's talking because she's got such a love for God. I'm thinking, what is she doing in here? She doesn't belong in here. And she's just going, oh, I just love Jesus so much and I've been trying my roommate. I'm trying to reach as many people as I can for Jesus in here. And my roommate, oh, she's the hardest, she's the hardest cellmate I've ever had. I've had these other cellmates. This girl is the worst. I've been trying to reach her for Jesus for the last three years. I've been trying to, I've been sharing, I've been praying with her. I've been showing her things in the Bible. She keeps shutting me down. I just am relentless just sharing God's love with her, sharing God's love. And she goes, and last night she accepted the Lord. And I'm like, that's really cool. I mean, who is this girl? Look at all this love flowing out, this relentless love flowing out of her. So we check out and we got outside the facility and that's when the chaplain friend of mine said, do you know who that girl was? I go, I don't know who she was, but she had a truckload of love in her life. He goes, that was uh, Susan Atkins. Susan Atkins from the Marilyn Manson crew. Marilyn Manson, Charlie Manson, Marilyn Manson. Yeah, he's in the same category. 
demonic crew. Um, Charlie Manson crew that committed all those murders, all those heinous crimes. And they're all, everyone that was part of the crew are doing life, double life, triple life stretches. That was Susan Atkins. She was a murderer who was part of that whole posse of killers. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way. Listen to the law. I, I, I was floored. I'm telling you about it today because I was floored about the amount of love that flowed out of somebody in an incarcerated place sharing God's love and the love of Jesus. How can that be? Because of what Jesus says. Whoever is forgiven much loves much. And whoever is forgiven little loves little. And the profound magnitude and the power when people, have, when people start turning their hearts to God, when people start lining their ways up with God's ways, when people start to turn like that, when the lost start to get found, when you and I partner with heaven to engage and look for the lost, to identify, to go after, and then to celebrate with heaven, that's when revival starts. I want to encourage you guys, step into revival. And I want to encourage you to step into it this way. We're going to close in prayer right now. Ask God to seal some of these things in our heart. Mighty God, we love you and we thank you for your word, the power of it. Thank you, Jesus, for your, what you show us here, God, that you love everybody and you look past everything because you see such a soul with so much value that you love, uh, that you look past all actions and things we do and say, come to me, don't stay there, come to me, come, come, come to me. And Lord, you've been calling people out since the beginning of time. You've been calling people out for the last 2,000 years. And you called me out, Lord, because I was lost and now I'm found. And many of us in this room have that same story where we'd say, yep, that was me too. I was lost, now I'm found. And then we got so many friends and family members and neighbors and others all over this city who are just like we were. And you're calling us to go back. You're calling us to go look for. You're calling us to search out, to first identify whoever's lost, who's missing, who belongs in your family that you're calling? God, let us be the people who partner with you to step out in faith and to go after and seek for the lost. And God, when the lost turn around and say, you know what, Jesus, <laughs> I'm not fighting you anymore. Your ways are better. That we would be people of celebration. That we would begin to celebrate with heaven like we've never celebrated before. Lord, change our attitude, change our mind. Let us be people who rejoice over what you rejoice, God, and get in on the things that you want us to. God, we love you. We thank you for that. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. We pray that this message has blessed you. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.